Welcome to the Leadership Mind podcast, which is brought to you by the Kane Centre at University College Cork. On this podcast, we will bring you conversations where we can explore how we think and how we can continue developing our meaning and truth-making capabilities throughout our adulthood. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Conversations with Readers of the Leadership Mind. I'm Connell Fanning and I'm here with Assumpto Kane. We are co-authors of The Leadership Mind and we are having a conversation with a reader of the book. The Leadership Mind was written to be an invitation to think together with us to solve major problems in the field of leadership thinking and to be a developmental reading experience in its own right. By engaging in dialogues, we can transform how we think about the vital matter of leadership in business and society. In this series, we are talking with invited readers about their experiences of reading The Leadership Mind, their perspectives on its key ideas, and what implications they are taking away for their work and living. We are delighted you are joining us in this developmental space, where we stand apart from our day-to-day busyness to let go of old ideas and embrace new thinking about leadership. In this episode, we are pleased to be in conversation with Brian Tui, Senior Manager at Dell Cork. Brian, thank you for joining us today to talk about your reading of The Leadership Mind. Perhaps to get going for the listeners, you might tell us a little bit about yourself as a person, as a worker and as a reader. Very good. It's my pleasure, Colin. So my name, as you mentioned, is Brian Tui. I work in a, in a multinational organisation. I grew up in the city in Cork in Mayfield. Like everybody else, I think growing up, trying to figure out, you know, what it is you wanted to do in the world. Um, I'm still working on that <laughs> at this point in time. I decided to try and explore some college as I went through school. I did electronic engineering in, in CIT first time around. That was my gateway into a multinational role as a technical role. As I went through that over the years, I found that my interest really lay in people rather than in machines and tried to segue my career then as I went along into you know, people leadership positions or people management positions really. So I guess, you know, a lot of a lot of kind of influences growing up would have been, you know, things like obviously my father was a big influence in terms of a lot of things he would have tried to pass on to me would have been things like you never really know what's going on with anybody else, you know, so you gotta be generous with others and be strict with yourself, right? You have to have standards for yourself. And, you know, discipline and perspective were a big thing for him. He was in the army, so discipline was obviously a big thing for him, right? You know, trying to have two best friends in life, discipline and perspective, right? The discipline to do what you needed to do in order to try and achieve things. And perspective to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, keep your failures in perspective, but more importantly, to keep any successes you might have had in perspective as well, right? Because they're they're never really achieved in isolation. They're achieved mm-hmm. because of the product of the people around you, the encouragement you got, the help and support you got, and a bit of luck mm-hmm. that you got, you know? Luck is a big factor that Huge people underestimate, yeah. Yeah. What kind of reader were you and are you now? Growing up, probably not a great reader. I kind of had an appreciation more for school and college after the first time round, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. You know, I studied and stuff like that, you know, I wasn't a bad student, but not a great student. But after coming out of college and starting my working life, 
it was kind of then that I thought to myself, is this it? You know, is that the end of that <laughs> experience? And I didn't want it to be the end of that experience. And I kind of became more and more interested, as I, as I mentioned, in people and things and, you know, why people are the way they are, how do we get the best out of ourselves and out of other people? And that kind of set me on a path to kind of explore. And I suppose the, the initial exploration was around exploring for information, right? Which is one of mm. the one of the key differences, I suppose, between that we'll get into later as trying to get training and experience as opposed to development. So it's to try to grow and grow skills and get mm. skills as opposed to personal development. That kind of happened somewhat unconsciously and very slowly and then more consciously and a little bit more quickly. But still trying to make sense of that as you're going along is a challenge. And that's you know, a mm. big part of the book and a lot of the kind of themes in the book or about the differences between development and education. And that's not something I came to until I was through college the first time, right, before going back to study other things. That's very interesting because you, you talk about, you said there, post-college, something kind of flipped in you, some sort of switch went on when you were outside of the structure of, let's say, all the various educational opportunities you had. Could you talk more about that? It's really interesting. Yeah. What do you think was going on? It probably happens, it's like that quote where, how do you go broke, you know, slowly and then suddenly. It's probably something that came on very slowly and then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, there's definitely more to not just the business world that you're in, but life in general, right? There's more to it to be explored than where you're at right now. I'm just trying to understand at that point in time, where, I suppose at any point in time, where are you at? Where are you working from? Which is one of the things in the book. Like, what what space are you working from? And it's you know mm. we have all of these different things in life. I'm a husband and father. I'm an employee. I'm a people manager. All of those things are part of the whole person that you end up being. You know, a brother. You know, a son. All that kind of stuff. And you tend to compartmentalize those things in the different spheres of your life. Are used to anyway. Unconsciously do that. You know, you wear the hat on the outside world that's mm. different than the hat you wear in the meeting room inside and, and work. But ultimately, they all relate to one another. It's that totality of things that makes up who you are and how you end up taking action in the world, ultimately. When did that kind of connection that you're talking about there, when did you become aware that you were, the language I suppose in the book we'd use is yeah. a whole person? When would that have I'd say happened to you? mid to late 20s <laughs> i started working when i was 19 straight out of college and i'd say the first couple of years was you know it was technical roles to, and it was just you know you were in the world of work for the first time you're an adult for the first time right and, and you're, you're trying to learn all you can about those particular roles you know at, at that time we felt i was very kind of just focused in on the particular tasks that are in front of you without trying to broaden out to see things in your totality i don't think you can probably I certainly couldn't do that anyway at that age, right? And I think that's probably just, it's probably natural enough and it's probably just a, a part of becoming an adult in the world and becoming grown up in a sense that you start to see broader context for things. You go beyond your immediate environment, you go on your immediate circumstances and you see that there's a whole load of possibilities, but they're only possibilities unless you're able to take action. And then trying to understand what it is that drives that action was the thing that really interested me. Why are you trying to, what is it that draws you to this? Why, do you, why are you thinking this way when that person on the other side of the table, who you respect and trust, 
has a very different view. And where did their view come from? You know, so you're you're exposed more to different thoughts and different, I suppose, modalities or whatever the word is, right? As opposed to when you were studying for your leaving cert, it was we're all studying the same poem. What does you know? You're all studying the same the same interpretation. Yeah, you know, and you have to give that you know structured answer that the assessor is looking for for you to get the marks that you need. It's it's a huge risk to bring in. Even if you were capable of it at the time, I'd say it's a huge risk to bring in thoughts of your own mm-hmm. that they may not be expecting, right? mm-hmm. which is something you try to do later on in, in, in university a little bit. You mentioned earlier that when you finished your university first time, the question came to you, was that it? Is that all? Yeah. I suppose one of the great things about the work of Robert Keegan, whom we draw on a lot, is that he made it very clear it's not all. There's mm-hmm. an awful lot more that can go on through our life. And in that way, it brings us to the leadership mind because his work underpins the whole thing we've done. So what's your impression overall of the book? What, what do you make of it overall? I, I found it a challenging book, right? In terms of it puts it up to you really to say, you know, where, where are you, to think about where you're actually operating from. Have you even considered the difference between management and leadership? Or are you just thinking through others as opposed to thinking for yourself that was one of the key themes for me in the book right but i found it really interesting the way that it was written and really different from you know the normal types of books that are out there on leadership and management right in that you guys were expressly saying we're going to go on a developmental journey together you know we're not going to just tell you that this is this is the way it is and that you need to do A, B and C, that it's a formula, follow that formula to success. Because there is no formula to success in, in mm. this sense, mm. right? Mm. If you have the definition of leadership that, that you guys have come to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that very interesting. And the way the book, there was a real honesty in the book to say, you know, come with us as we work this out. And you could see the workings out as you went from chapter to chapter, right? Um, and it was, you know, even one of the even one of the statements about, you know, if the best we can do is have you to think about um, what leadership means, mm-hmm. then that's a success, mm-hmm. right? Even that small win is a big win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to you taking on the um, some of the ideas, putting them through your own um, filters and actually thinking for yourself mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, you know what, some of this resonates, some of it. Or may resonate later on some of it I'm not too sure about kind of mm. how easy was it uh, to, to adapt that kind of questioning attitude I suppose as you read the book um, you know leaning into certain aspects and maybe drawing mm. away from others how, how easy did you find that kind of dialogue as, as it was set up I enjoy that kind of reading experience right um, I was fortunate enough to go through the Reading for Transformation program here in the Kane Centre, right? and that really changed how I view and approach reading. Um, I mentioned earlier on, as the first time through college, right, you were kind of reading to try and get more information, reading to get mm-hmm. more skills, right? That's how I used to approach books, more so than any, any other way of it. Now with the hindsight or the experience of being through the, the, the reading for transformation view, you read books in a completely different way now, right? You're looking at them in terms of, you know, coming at them with goodwill, being open-minded, being non-judgmental, 
uh, and looking at them as a conversation with the author or authors, right? Um, and trying to follow along their train of questioning and their train of thought as they lay out their, um, you know, what either their views or what they've come to, because ultimately they're writing about something that they've come to, right? And they've probably taken years to get there, you know? So it's, you can sit down and read this, right? In, you know, a couple of, couple of hours or a couple of days, depending on how long you spend with the books, and you can go back to them and you can get all of the wealth of that experience through reading with that open mind, right? And, and goodwill, as opposed to the moment you read something that doesn't quite sit where you are right now, shaking the head and saying, no, no, I don't agree with that. You know, so that that really shaped how I approach books. And how are are you open to taking that way now of looking at any situation into other parts of your life, like in work, like in relationships? Um, For sure, it's 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 huge skill to try and you know to internalize, and I think that's a key. That I, I don't pick that phrase, you know, out, out of the sky, right? Like, to internally something mean it's it's become part of you know at this stage right it's not just a concept that sounds good that you can talk to and it's geez that way is really thinking about it it's not that it's it's a, it's either part of you or it isn't you've either internalized it or you haven't and if you haven't internalized it yet it's just the superficial but once you internalize it you see it is not just for reading through the leadership mind or reading through any other book. But it's about being able to take those multiple viewpoints and, and having that goodwill with people to actually listen to them properly about where they're coming from and, and try to get a deeper understanding of where what is it they're actually saying, right? And hold their ideas with your own. And sometimes they're complementary, sometimes they're contradictory, mm-hmm. right? But being able to hold those multiple viewpoints is I think a really valuable life skill not just for work but just navigating life in general right and sometimes people find it very difficult to do that to silence the chatter what you described there as the instinct to shut something down and agree or disagree with it Mm -hmm. as opposed to hold it open and you know let it sit with you and maybe investigate or explore it further yeah but I suppose maybe ego or you know the the deep uh what's the hold I suppose that um, past experiences have on us mm-hmm. how did you find letting or, or parking you know what you are up to this point in time what we call in the book an accumulation mm-hmm. we're all an accumulation at any point in time how, how do you you know for you how do you manage that kind of it's a dance isn't it in it way? is and it's a challenge still right it's not that you can do it and you can do it all the time in every circumstance right you know, there's external factors that, and internal factors for that matter, right, that would have a bearing on how capable and competent you are to be in that mindset at that point in time, right? You know, like take a work context. If there's, you know, severe pressure for immediate deadlines, your ability to step back and take on the multiple points of view is being hindered by that very nature of a deadline and, you know, the pressure that comes from having to deliver a solution right but the, the trick there is to try and do do that process up front right that you're not just trying to figure it out at the moment in time of having to deliver something that you're actually thinking about these things you know 
months out, weeks out, whatever time frame is, to give yourself that space. And I think that trying to give yourself that space is one of the most challenging parts. And it was one of the most challenging things in the book, right? And I know it's not a physical space. You guys mentioned that it's a it's a mental space that you need to be able to retreat into. But that I, I guess for me, that's that's a muscle that needs to be exercised more frequently, right? I'm only beginning my journey on that, to be perfectly honest, right? And I guess if if you exercise it, it'll go, it'll develop, right? But if you don't, it'll atrophy. You know, if you slip back out of it, it's like you know, the analogy of fitness training, right? You're, you you can get to a certain level of fitness, take two weeks off, and you're, you know, back to square one kind of thing. Mm. You mentioned earlier uh, that your approach to reading is now in terms of a conversation with the authors. Yeah. So if we could look at it that way about the leadership mind, uh, what parts of the conversation did you enjoy? So I really enjoyed the, the pieces about where you're talking about the level of conceptual confusion that's out there, chapter two, conceptual confusion, right? and sustaining the confusion, um, chapter three. Because as I was going through some additional training after college, the first time around, you're really kind of getting exposed to those types of things, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, here's a model for this, here's a set of, you know, here's a playbook for this scenario. A framework for that. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's a huge amount of that out there, right? And mm-hmm. I found it refreshing that you guys tackled that in such a, in such an open and honest way, right? You you never see that in the other leadership books, right? And mm-hmm. um, that you know there is a marketplace of ideas out there. There is a perpetual need for newness, and newness sometimes is wiping off the dirt off the oldness, mm-hmm. right? And reformatting it, right? But there's a perpetual need to have a constant flow of new ideas, right? But are they going to be ideas that are only helping you in terms of, you know, designed order thinking, which is one mm-hmm. of the parts of the book, or is it mm-hmm. going to be stuff that opens up emergent order thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Pr- primarily they're in designed order thinking, right? If you have a playbook for something, it's designed order, yeah. ultimately, right? But it's the, the real interesting parts of life in general and work in particular, I suppose, right, are in the emergence, right? The not knowing what's going to happen when you get up in the morning, right? Life is emergent, right? Society is emergent. Goes back to the Thomas Sowell stuff, you know, the the whole constrained view of the world and the importance of institutions and, and structures and that they're the you know, they're the embodiment of the knowledge of, of humankind throughout the years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, it's impossible for people to have answers for for things that are so complex, right? That, that's why you need that embodiment of all the knowledge mm-hmm. of humankind and those structures to, to support it, right? So though, I, I thought yeah. that was refreshing, right? So that was, a, and that's really early in the book, right? That's mm-hmm. two and three. And it just gets, it just gets better from there. And that was, he had me on board at that point, right? Good. Yeah. Good. Um, and then it's, okay, it's working, it's searching for a new definition, okay? It's what do we actually mean? Are the diff- are the, what are the differences between the management and leadership, right? And you have all the, the, the common ideas that are out there, the Drucker stuff, you know, it's doing things right or doing mm-hmm. the right things. And everything today has a kind of a tag of leadership on it, which was one of the elements of the book. And it's 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 an apt observation because it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely everywhere. Right? It's that underage football, for God's sake, you know, mm-hmm. who's the leader on the field kind of thing, right? But in business, it, it, it needs to mean something. 
it can't be all things and to all did people. Did you find the distinction that we made between management and leadership persuasive and useful to you? Would, you, would that be of use to you going forward? It certainly will be, I, I hope, right? But it's about practicing with it, I guess, mm-hmm. right, is the thing. It'll only become useful if, if you internalize it, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, it's just, it's just an intellectual it's just exercise. just in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, to internalize it as a practice then. So that's, you know, you, you got to exercise that. that uh, that's kind of where I'd come from with that. It, I think it's, it is a very important distinction, right? The leadership piece is, is invisible, is, is what you guys are saying. It's, it's mm-hmm. an internal thing through the whole person, right? And ultimately, it's invisible. Whereas you wonder then how you practically kind of, if you look at it in terms of how do you help to instill it in your team, for example, right? Because there's more and more demands being placed on people, right? In, in business, as you know. And the demands in terms of the dexterity of thought and, and you know, trying to predict the future, they're just, they just grow constantly, right? There's, there's no lull in any of that, right? But ultimately, I think management has almost been seen as a lower activity than leadership in business throughout the years. And that's why you see so many tags on leadership, because everybody wants to be tagged mm-hmm. as leader, mm-hmm. right? Even without defining or knowing what that truly is, right? Um, and if it, if it is the, the whole self and the working out of, of insight, which is what you guys have come to, right? Then you can't really, you can't see that in someone at interview, for example, mm-hmm. right? You know, so that's a challenge. The other side of that coin is you can't demonstrate that at interview either unless you have a, a deep conversation on, about it that mm-hmm. probably won't occur at interview, right? And may probably actually impede you <laughs> in terms of your ability mm-hmm. to get the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on, on the panel, right? It tests so, their development as well. Yeah, I would say so. Oh. Yeah. And again, this is the humility. Like, I'm only working with these concepts. I, I've no claim to have, you know, there's kind of, in my mind as I was reading, I was thinking that it's within your reach, but beyond your grasp currently. You can almost yeah. touch it, but you can't hold it yet. You've got to practice yeah. more to try and internalize it. So, yeah, like, I'm, I'm not claiming to be by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, like, fully uh, fu- fully owning this concept or, you know, living it every day kind of thing. But I am trying to practice with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's important, right? The book is, you mentioned earlier that it was different than the ones you usually see on this field. Yeah. And, and it's structured deliberately, obviously, as an argument into which we invite people to, to join us, to think with us. Did you find that a useful way of doing it? I did. I thought that was a really interesting way of doing it because you can almost, you can see, it, I think one of the metaphors you use in it is the, the trains of thought, right? And the idea that as you go through those trains of thought, it's about the questions that arise and the questions that arise will lead to a next train of thought, right? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of, that I thought that was a really interesting... You like that style of reasoning? Yeah, yeah. Right. Because it's okay, like, this is what we're exploring, this is what we've gotten to, okay, and if, if, okay, if we take this as the premise or the assumption that we've made, knowing that our assumptions are based on our own kind of biases mm-hmm. already, right, mm-hmm. and what's gone before, because we are the makeup of sitting here and now of all of our past experiences, right, like meaning making, that's mm-hmm. what we do. 
it's path dependent and it and it absolutely influences what we take from the reading of the book or any book right um our inferences and our actions so if you can better develop your meaning making capabilities you have the ability to try and take more things from the same exercise right and ultimately come to a better outcome whether that's better understanding whether that's better um better in terms of you've challenged a strongly held belief and now all of a sudden it's not on the sound footing that you thought it was that can only be a good thing right but it's also a nerve-wracking thing right because sometimes if you challenge your own beliefs or certainly if you challenge other people's beliefs you can be almost attacking someone's identity depending on how deeply ingrained the views are held right Mm -hmm. you know and it's trying to trying to step outside that whole kind of collection of beliefs and see them for what they are Mm. is um is not an easy thing to do but it's a really really interesting and enriching thing to do Mm. for yourself i think one of the beliefs we try to um challenge i suppose uh, is what you mentioned earlier that everything has to be about leadership mm-hmm. one, of the pur- one of the things we'd like to have done and hope we've done is to reduce what we call leadership anxiety mm-hmm. do you think that our argument is persuasive in that regard of reducing leadership anxiety as we describe it yeah I, I think it really sets the scene in terms of what demands can and should be placed on people who are in you know, in, in inverted commas, leadership positions, right? And I wonder about leadership positions too in terms of the what I would have had in my imagination before I read the book as opposed to now. You know, because everything is termed, you know, leader off. Or, mm-hmm. And one of the differentiations in the book is leadership versus mm-hmm. headship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think by defining it as insight and by actually elevating management in the way that you have or freeing management almost not elevating it but freeing it mm-hmm. from from the constraints of leadership right our demands of leadership or as we say the corruption of leadership the corruption yeah. yeah yeah it's more freeing right because mm. you need to be a good manager right in order to give your individual contribution to your to your role in the organization right if you have a responsibility for people you need to at least be interested in learning as much as as you can about leadership and the different views of it right and understanding how you can actually better impact your team right like that that's a big responsibility right mm-hmm. you know i think freeing up management though is is really important because you don't want people who are in to use your phrase headship roles to just be having sleepless nights about I meant to be the leader and I meant to be, you know, this crazy insightful person mm. that can deliver, that can predict the future ultimately. Yeah, that can deliver magic. Yeah, that can deliver magic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because it's, it's just not like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't, mm. you can't demand that from people and expect them to actually deliver. The best you can do is create conditions that are conducive mm-hmm. to leadership as insight. And I'm not sure what that looks like either in organizations at this point in time, right? That's something I've been sitting with for the last few days, thinking about, okay, you know, how do you actualize this in organizations, right? 
number one, how do I actualize it in myself? I have a better chance of doing that because it's just mm. me. And, you know, you, you can work on that at any stage, right? But how do you actually do it in an, organiza- an organization? If I was to try and move into my team and say, you know, there's, there's the team in front of me, mm. how do I actually try to actualize leadership as insight within those people, right? There's a lot of work out yet in that for me, right? Very definitely. As you know, reading for transformation is about asking the developmental question, mm-hmm. what are the implications for me, for how I think? Mm-hmm. From your reading of this book, what do you at the moment see as the implications for yourself for how you think? I guess for myself, it's it's definitely a challenge to try and better internalize the idea of leadership as insight and to try and create that environment where you have the space apart to actually think that through and give yourself the chance of creating the ability to have more insights, right? As I think there's a piece in the book where it says, you know, you're just setting yourself up with the opportunity for it. It's not guaranteed to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's important too, because you can do lots of work and, and insight. Any insight I've ever had in life has come at kind of, I suppose, I don't know if you ever listen to, to artists, like our, you know, people who write songs mm. or music and stuff, they talk about, they just took down the song, right? They just, you know, came to them and they, mm-hmm. they just had to record it. It's coming from somewhere, right? It's, you know, it's not an exercise, okay, I'm going to sit down now for an hour, I've blocked off in my calendar and I'm mm-hmm. going to have an insight. You know, that mm-hmm. just doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. It comes at, you know, obscure times. And often it can come at times when you, it's not, the insight is not related to anything you're in, doing in the immediate surroundings, you know? Mm-hmm. So Brian, does that suggest then that, um, you know, leadership as insight is, it's about who you are, it's about how you're living, mm-hmm. um, and it's about maybe the attention you pay to your life, to your team, you know, to your organisation, to your whatever. All aspects of your life are very kind of in a heightened sense of awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost an attitude, you know. It's an attitude of mind, I think. Mm. You know, where you're, you're in that... You become aware of something and you can become aware of it intellectually, and that's one thing. But you have to become aware of it internally. You, you got to internalize it. That's the key thing. Yeah. And that's that's a practice, you know, and it's how do you actually go and make that part of a daily practice, mm-hmm. right? And give yourself that space. And that's like life conspires against that, right? Mm-hmm. Home life conspires mm-hmm. against it. Mm-hmm. Work life certainly conspires yeah. against it. Your time is not been, your own. The way we've been trained works against it. I would think so too, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What about the, in the book, I suppose, we worked hard to introduce some exemplars, mm-hmm. you know, so rather than, as, as you were talking earlier, rather than um, having a prescribed way of uh, getting toward a new definition of leadership, we obviously wanted the reader and you as the reader to really engage with this and mm-hmm. figure it out for yourself. How did the exemplars we introduced help, if they did, yeah. your experience? Yeah. They certainly help. It's it's trying to um, make it come alive, right? Make make the concept come alive of, of inside his leadership. You know, Robert Kennedy was one of them. Uh, Nelson Mandela was the other, right? Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to South Africa on my honeymoon a number of years ago, and I went to Robben Island, right? And as I was reading that passage, I was thinking to myself, you know, you never really know until you're tested. 
you know, you can have all, you can have exposed values, but you don't know what values you truly have until mm-hmm. they're tested, right? That's, that's just the way it is. I remember being over there and the tours are given by ex-prisoners. It's just horrific. You're, you're trying to put yourself in the place of people who were there and obviously Mandela being probably the most famous person who was ever in there. And you're thinking to yourself, this person came out, you know, I was listening to a podcast during the week and it wasn't about Mandela, but it was about, you know, the reason we have a legal system and it's to take away the, kind of the, the, the burden or the onus of um, retribution, right? You know? Revenge. Uh, revenge, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was thinking to myself, what would you do in this scenario? And I, I couldn't answer myself when I was over there. Right? I, I kind of went back to that moment as I was reading the passage in the book. You would you don't know, like, you, you do not know what you would have done had you been in that person's shoes coming out there. So that's a remarkable course of action to take, all things considered, right? Uh, to come out and decide and have the insight that we can either continue through this vicious spiral of death and destruction just with a different uh, face on it now that we have the reins of power mm. or we can actually do something to progress society forward right and you know by all accounts he was under tremendous pressure from his own party to, to go the other way right so it's remar- I think it's remarkable I think it, it resonated more with me than the Robert Kennedy one right but they definitely help it to come alive Good, glad that was helpful. When you mentioned earlier about internalising being um, difficult, I was curious about how you found the idea of a trusted critical friend, mm-hmm. um, again as a help to you know move into that internalising of, of insight. Do you think a person like that or persons like that can actually help mitigate against, as you called it, the external distractions or yeah, challenges I, I of, of regular life? Do. I certainly do. Difficult to come by, I must say, right? Again, it's almost related to the company you keep kind of concept, right? Which uh, obviously in this instance, a trusted critical friend is somebody who knows you and knows you well and is probably alive and well and can speak to you, right? But you can also have the company you keep in terms of the books and the conversations with the authors, right? So there's kind of a dual streams there in my thought process when it comes to that, right? When it comes to real life trusted critical friends, I think back now to a previous manager that I would have had as one of my experiences, right? And it's only in retrospect that I can see that that was elements of the trusted critical friend in terms of challenging how you thought about and the decisions you were making in the work environment. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, I remember saying to that person at one point in time, you know, what I was asked to do was this. And they stopped me there and then and said, listen to the language you're using. What you were asked to do was, why aren't you actually taking a step back and thinking about what's actually needed as opposed to what was mm. asked, right? That was a real, looking back on it, trusted critical friend moment of, you know, broadening, again, broadening your view of the world, trying to hold this is the task versus this is the overall view of the landscape. And it's trying to take on that that different way of thinking, that different mode of being, right, was a challenge to my existing mode of focus on what's in mm-hmm. front of you, right? And that's a growth, that's a growth and development thing, right? That's yeah. the more Angela Maggie step yeah, in the book in a way, really, isn't it? Yeah. Growth, really. Yeah. 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 That, that's a good place to bring our conversation to an end for the moment, no doubt it will continue. Brian, your um, 
a great reader with goodwill and gains a sense of reading with goodwill and we very much appreciate your reading of the book and talking to us about it. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our conversations with readers of The Leadership Mind. You can join this reading experience through the book website, theleadershipmind.org and getting your copy of the book from our website, Amazon sites and through good local bookshops. We would like to hear your thoughts about your reading of The Leadership Mind and if you wish to share them with us, you can contact us at canes at ucc.ie. This podcast is brought to you by the Keynes Centre at University College Cork. You can find more about our pioneering Reading for Transformation experiences at the Keynes Centre website, canes.ucc.ie. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Mind podcast, where we transform how we think about leadership for ourselves. As a final reflection, we would like to leave you with our guiding observations from John Maynard Keynes, which says, The difficulty lies not in the new ideas, but in escaping from the old ones. For more information, please visit our website, keynes.ucc.ie.